What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome to episode 55 of One Before I Die. We got a nice little show here on tap for you because there's a little bit of hockey news actually coming at you at, uh, in this episode as well, a little bit of Sabres talk. But with that being said, today we'll be talking about the Bills versus Dolphins game. Obviously, the Bills moving on to 2-0. We'll be talking about the Bills versus Rams preview of next week. And then also, like I said, a little bit of hockey news. Eric Stahl was traded to the Sabres for Marcus Johansson one for one, and we'll get into that later as well. So a little bit of a packed show. I'm excited to get it going. Ethan, how are you doing in Chicago over there? Doing well, man. Bills are 2-0. and um, You know, let's keep this thing rolling. You had a great Sunday yesterday watching them. I know, I mean, get right into it. I, you know, a lot of fans, I think they're a little disappointed in the CBS broadcast team as I was. Um, you know, for a good portion of that game yesterday, I was, you know, throwing my phone across the room, pacing back and forth, not knowing what's going on. So CBS, please get it together. I can't have that again. You know, that was probably more nerve wracking than the actual game itself. But like I said, Bills are 2-0. and um, We got some Sabres news to talk about, like you just talk, like you just mentioned there. Um, so I, I'm ready for, you know, an, a, kind of a loaded epi here. So let's get right into it. Yeah, CBS power outage there missed like the whole second quarter pretty much, and then also we come back out after halftime and there's a lightning delay. So there's everything going on in the world that was forcing us to miss this game yesterday in some capacity. But like you said, let's get right into it. I think there's a decent amount to break down here. So let's let's talk about it. The Bills obviously won thirty-one to twenty-eight. So a little bit closer than I at least personally expected. I think a little bit closer than a lot of Bills fans expected. Um, so it was only a three-point game. I know the Dolphins kind of got that garbage touchdown at the end, but you know we still couldn't stop them there. You know either way, but it was a final thirty-one to twenty-eight. Like Ethan said, we move on to two and zero. We get that win on the road in Miami with fans in the building, and. Um, Let's let's talk about it. I, I think I guess I'll give my first brief overview here. Um, it, it felt good that the offense was able to. I mean, I don't know. I thought they played well, and I know you want to talk about their third quarter laws a little bit, but I guess I'll say in a broad scale first. I it was nice how the offense. I guess in this season for you know 
for the first time, you know, whereas as last season it was the defense picking up the offense for a while. It seemed like the offense was the one that picked up the defense in this game. It seemed like we were able to move the ball and then pretty much at will. It was just a matter of execution throughout the entire game. And um, we were able to step up at the end there. But that was the main takeaway is the defense didn't play very well. and The offense was able to step up and score over 30 points to get us this win. Yeah, I mean, we'll start off by saying I think it was – Without a doubt, Josh Allen's best game is a Buffalo Bill since he joined the team. I mean, you look at his stat line, 417 passing yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Hard to argue against that stat line. Um, you know, I think he put a lot of his critics uh, in an uncomfortable situation yesterday because he kind of shut him up. You can't really say much when you put up numbers like that. Um, again, you, like you mentioned, though, there's I think just because – of maybe some injuries, but other factors. I mean, this defense didn't look like the defense that we saw all of last year. Um, so there's definitely room for improvement there. And like you said, I mean, Allen and the offense, they picked up our defense yesterday, which was a nice change of pace, something that we've been asking for since we've drafted Josh Allen to see a complete game out of him. Um, I will get into a little bit. The third quarter, again, it seems to be just a constant issue with this Bills team. Um, I don't know what it is. Is it the lightning delay? Is it I, – I don't know. It's, it seems like it's, it's, it's every week now, or even going back into last season, where the third quarter is constantly their worst quarter. Um, that needs to change moving forward. Uh, we're, not playing the, we're not playing the Jets and the Dolphins every week here. We're going to start seeing some better teams, starting with the Rams this upcoming Sunday. So, I mean, you got to play a full, full four quarters if you're going to expect to keep winning here in the league. So third quarter needs to be more consistent. Need, you can't just, you know, stop playing and then pick it back up in the fourth every week. That needs to change. But, I mean, Josh Allen, he showed out. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say there. I, he, he played phenomenal. And I think overall from a deep defensive perspective, it really showed that we missed Milano and both Edmonds. I mean, Gasecki had a field day with us over the middle, um, the tight end for Miami. Um, I think his stat line was pretty crazy. I know he, he ended up having a touchdown too. Um, he had over a hundred yards receiving as well. Yeah. And I mean, the defense just, it didn't look like a dominant force out there. Um, I mean, Fitzpatrick, he played pretty well. I'll give it to him. And it seems like Miami had a game plan for what we were going to throw at them. Um, they were consistent in the getting the ball out of Fitzpatrick's hands very quickly. Um, you know, they did a lot of slants, a lot of short stuff over the middle. Um, yeah, thought, came, you know, well, it came down to, like you said, Edmonds and Milano being out. They couldn't cut. They did the same play 500 times in a row, hitting Gasecki over the middle, and Klein can't cover someone um, when, he, when he drops back in pass coverage. I thought Dodson was kind of flying around a little bit, but overall the linebackers hurt us tremendously, Not them not playing. And then Levi Wallace, you, you know, we've talked about this in the beginning before the season started. You never know what Levi Wallace you're going to get. Is he going to be a solid cornerback for the day? Is he going to come up with a bunch of good plays? Or is he going to get exposed? He got absolutely exposed uh, on Sunday, and I'm, I want Josh Norman to get healthy again to see what we got in him. That's the point I'm at with, with Levi Wallace because if he's getting exposed like that against Gasecki and this Dolphins offense that clearly had a game plan going in and then they kind of just fed off that, it seemed like Fitzpatrick was getting up the line and wherever Levi Wallace was playing is, all right, I'm going to go exactly right there, and it seemed to work. So I, I want to attribute a lot of the defensive, um, the lack of defense to – 
Milano and Edmonds just being out, which I think a lot of it was. But at the same time, we need to have another cornerback on the field that can guard. And with that being said, I don't think Trey White played the best of football either yesterday. So no, I, I, think, I, think that up as well. I think there's a lot to work on more than just injuries here. Yeah, no, 100%. I think the players that are on the field on our defense yesterday didn't play up to what we usually expect out of them. I was going to say starting with Trey White, he seemed to uh, get caught sleeping on a couple t- uh, plays there, most notably the one play right before CBS had their, their technical difficulties where I don't forget who caught the ball, but it was, you know, down. It was the borderline touchdown. Did he catch the ball? Whatever. Whether that was a catch or not, I mean, great pass by Fitzpatrick, great catch. I mean, Trey White just got beat on that play. Let's be honest here. That's that's uncharacteristic out of him. You, you don't usually see that kind of uh, grab from someone that uh, Trey's guarding. So, I mean, Trey's got to step it up here. He's going to have, you know, a little bit tougher test with the Rams and their receiving crew coming in. So um, it's time for him to step up his game and show why we paid him that big contract that he got right before the season started here. And then also I want to talk about the D-line. Again, I don't, I, I just don't see a lot. Uh, I don't know. I, nothing, nobody's really impressing me so far in that D-line. I know we had a couple sacks. Uh, Ed Oliver finally got on the sack chart. Uh, who else got on there? I think Addison got on. Addison as well. got another one, but I mean both sacks. I would say coverage sacks. You know these these weren't clearly beating your guy off the line, making a nice move. This was Fitzpatrick didn't really have anywhere to throw the ball, and he was back there for you know maybe five or six seconds and held on to it a little bit too long, and we got to him. Um, Ed Oliver, I really need to see the Ed Oliver that we saw at the second half of last year. He's kind of disappearing. Um, I thought you know, Ed I, Oliver had a. If we're talking defense in whole, I know we obviously not too high on the answer. I thought Ed Oliver played pretty well for if we're picking out singular guys, though. I don't know. I thought he was kind of like he had a nice tip ball at the line. It seemed like he was yeah. more involved than anyone, right? I don't know. That was just my take on him. I don't know. I, I'm just not impressed so far as a whole with anybody on that D line. Um, and then, yeah, like we talked about, the injuries to linebackers. I agree. I thought Dodson was better uh, than Klein. I thought Dotson had some very nice plays. Most notably, he had that uh, deflection in the pass game that was huge. Uh, he had a couple nice tackles. Uh, he seemed like he was flying around a bit, a little bit more mobile. But Klein, man, this guy is a liability. He's not exactly what I thought we were going to get out of that signing. Um, easily not a credible option uh, behind who we got there. Uh, big step down from a Matt Milano from a, just a sheer mobility standpoint. I mean, he looks slow. It's obvious that he can't cover tight ends or running backs coming out of the backfield. Um, Even in the not, run game, I feel like, yeah, he's, you know. He doesn't seem like he comes up and fills that hard. He's not really, you know, laying the lumber. It's just very not impressed with him. Um, so, again, I was looking today. It doesn't seem like we have an answer on whether we're going to see Edmonds or Milano this upcoming week. Um, and I think it's going to be a big issue if we don't. So whether it comes into game planning and how we're, how Leslie Frazier's going to be attacking this Rams offense, you know, if he has to get a little creative with the personalities that's going to be available for him to use, but something needs to change going into this week if we're not going to have our full linebacking crew ready to go. And even just from a general standpoint, our big-time players need to come up and make big-time plays um, and I, on the defensive side of the ball. I, know, also, I, wanna... I also don't think um, – I, I don't know, before you hop in there again, 
I just want to say I, I don't think Shaq Lawson really did much for, for Miami, by the way, now that we're like we're talking like D line. I didn't really notice him really out there. Um like no. his name wasn't called too much either. So I don't know if we lost too much there or not. But I just want to mention about that. Shaq Lawson. Yeah. No, but I do want to say because I mean my buddies are always already texting me saying, you know, on the podcast tomorrow you're gonna be negative or you'll be negative. You know, we only beat the Dolphins by three. Like, get that negative attitude out of here. What I want to say is I got to get my hats off to Josh Allen. You know, I already talked about it. The guy looked unbelievable. He literally won this game for us. I don't care what you want to say. Uh, he made some phenomenal throws. And I think – I don't know about you, Sam, but yesterday I saw him take a step. Um, and I want to talk about Stephon Diggs because this guy is – you could tell – we we're getting what we paid for with Stefan Diggs. He's everything that has been advertised so far in my eyes. Um, I mean, just through two games, you could tell that he is that hole that we had last season and that number one receiving spot that he's kind of stepping and filling for us. I think, you know, his chemistry and his, his leadership is really kind of showing out uh, to me so far. And he's kind of, you know, a lot of people are talking about, a lot of Bills haters, I would say, going into the season would bring up, you know, he's going to be that diva in the locker room. He's going to, you know, cause tons of rifts in that receiving core when he doesn't get the ball as much. He's going to be that guy that's going to be complaining all the time when Josh Allen doesn't throw it to him or just completely misses him. But I want to say what I've seen on Stefan Diggs is the complete opposite. I think he's, you know, working with Josh Allen, showing that he's going to be the model you know, athlete in this receiving core, the guy that young guys like Gabriel Davis, <clears throat> Isaiah McKenzie can look up to, right? And even guys like Cole Beasley and John Brown, who are more vets, right, can even learn some things from. And I even, you know, I was reading today, Stefan Diggs, he, he at halftime went to Brian Dabble and said, you know, we got to figure out ways to get John, John Brown and Cole Beasley the ball more. Um, because, you know, he, he's being a leader, right? And he's, he's seeing what, what's out there, and he knows that maybe they're open, or, you know, he, he's just saying, let's, let, let, let's move the ball around a little bit more. I don't know. I think Stefan Diggs has been a phenomenal addition to this team so far. Uh, he made a ton of great catches, you know, that one on the sideline that got reviewed that I thought was not as close as maybe people were thought, or thought it was in real time. You know what I'm talking about? It was like a yeah. second and seven. Josh yeah, it was not even, on the it, sideline. Sh- it should have been a two-second review. It was like, catch all day i mean i don't know what we were doing there yeah. um but then, feed, piggybacking off what you're saying i was going to bring up the same thing i mean Diggs has been unbelievable and i think that a lot of josh allen's step forward has to do with allen or has to do with Diggs. and you know obviously i'm not i'm not trying to hate on allen or anything or he played like a phenomenal game like you said but you got to give a lot of credit to Diggs in these situations. He's a lot better than I think a lot of people thought he was. You know, a lot of us didn't really see him in Minnesota. We knew he was good, but it's not like we're watching Vikings games a lot. Um, d- different conference even. You're, you're not really just seeing a lot of Diggs when he was there. You just, ha- you just hear the name. You just hear the stats, whatever. I, I think he's been more than what we thought he was going to be, and I think we gave up, what we gave up for him in that trade is just laughable looking back at it. Yeah, and especially look where the Vikings are at now. Right. I mean, they thought they were just going to replace Stefan Diggs with the rookie, Justin Jefferson out of LSU. I mean, no. That's, that's just the dumbest analysis I've ever heard. I mean, they're not even on the same playing field here. So yeah. I think if the Bills would have stayed in the draft at that spot or even tried to move up any of the receivers so far, 
that they could have even had a shot of drafting haven't really impressed me to the point where Stefan Diggs is right now. No, so, they haven't been they haven't been as, as impactful as Diggs, not even close. Like I mean, Diggs has been one of the best receivers out of non rookies too, in my opinion. Yeah, easily. Um, on on the other hand, offense staying on the offensive side of the ball, some not so good. I want to talk about Dawson Knox. He's had a let's let's be honest here. Rough start to the season for Dawson Knox here, right? He had a big drop yesterday on a ball he should have caught. A big fumble that nobody got to see, unfortunately or fortunately. Um, and he just had, you know, I don't think he has been that good so far for us. He hasn't made any big time catches really. Um, he hasn't really stepped up. I don't know. Well, yeah, the 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 one the one you have brought up with the miss or the drop ball, I think you're referring to the one kind of like over the middle, right? When he was one on one with that guy. I mean, that's the one that sticks out to me the most, and that's the only one, in my opinion, that Bills fans have to look at and be discouraged about because we're not getting Knox or a tight end to be this guy that creates separation and is beating guys off the line like a Diggs might do with his route running ability. That's not what a tight end is in general. And that's especially not what you're getting out of Dawson Knox. You're not expecting him to be right. Like a Kelsey who's just like taking the ball and being super athletic. What you expect out of most tight ends and especially Knox here is to make that kind of catch It's it's that's what you have a big, strong guy for is making contested catches. And if he's not making those, he's, he's not, um, he's not the, he's not going to be the guy that he's you not want doing his job. He's not doing his job. He's like I said, he's not going to be this huge deep threat. Like that's what he's there for is to make contested catches like that. So you can be like, oh no, that was a that was a tough catch. Guy's arm was right in the middle. Well, that's the why we have him. That's the catches he needs to make in order to have a spot on this team and not lose his job. Because as we talked about at the beginning of the year, who knows if Croft is going to come up? And I know I know Knox got hurt at the towards the end of this game. He was out with a concussion. Croft, it's not like they really did much with him, but they didn't really give him any opportunities. But he could he could slide in, and if he's making those catches, then it's a no brainer that he's going to play over Knox. So. Yeah, I agree. It's those type of catches that you have to make and you're not going to get too many passes moving forward because it's happened, you know, now, now a few times over his first two careers or first two seasons. Yeah. And the fumbling, I mean, that was an issue last year and he fumbled in a big time spot yesterday. What he caught like a 37 yard pass and ends up fumbling the ball afterwards. Just can't happen. Um, Yeah. No. Need 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 better out of Dawson Knox. I saw this morning that he's in the concussion protocol now, so I don't know if we're going to see him this week against the Rams. Well, that's something that we'll have to monitor as the week goes along. And then I also want to talk about the backfield. Oh, let let me I, let me hop in here real quick because that was the one specific fit thing that I want to talk about was the backfield of Singletary and Moss. And I'll, let me let me leave this off, and then you can hop in if you want. But I did some little prep work for this little segment here because. Uh, I was I was going a little crazy during the game on Sunday, and you know how we talk about all the time we're not big stat guys. We kind of go with our gut. Well, your boy went full stat guy mode for this little segment here on the backfield between Singletary and Moss, and I just want to lay it out to you because basically what I'm about to say and then follow up with the stats is what I'm feeling. Devin Singletary is not getting the ball nearly enough. He is not playing. He is not getting enough snaps. He's not next to Josh Allen nearly enough. And let me hit you with some stats. So yesterday in yesterday's game, or Sunday's game, sorry, Devin Singletary was on the field for 34 snaps on offense, 
Moss was on the field for 28 snaps. So that's 56% of the snaps for Singletary, 46% of the snaps for Moss. So only a 10% difference, first of all, and only 56% of the time Singletary was on the field. That is way too low to begin with, in my opinion. Next, also in the game on Sunday, Singletary only had 10 carries, which that's a whole other thing. I think this guy should be getting 20-plus touches a game, whether it's out of the backfield or carries. But right here, he had 10 carries for 56 yards. So that's an average of 5.6 yards per run. Moss had eight carries for 37 yards, 4.6 yards per run, which is pretty good still, but still a whole yard more than Moss. And then through the first two weeks of the season, Singletary only has 19 carries for 86 yards, which is an average of 4.5 per carry. Moss has uh, 17 carries, so only two less than Singletary for 48 yards, a 2.8 average. This is crazy to me. Listen, I I like Moss. I, I think maybe in the future he can be a little bit better. And I know at the beginning of the season and in the offseason, I was a big proponent of having a tandem backfield and getting these guys involved and mixing it up and finding different ways to do that. But look, I can change my take. I am a guy that can put my hand up and say, look, no, that's not the, what, the thing you should be doing. But, uh, you know, I, I, make my ch- I change my mind here. Singletary, there's two reasons here. Not only is, is Singletary just far and above better than Moss, I, I kind of forgot that over the offseason, right, when I'm talking about the tandem. Singletary last year, every time he got the ball, he, he made a great play. And that was one of the things last year, Bill's friends were saying, give him the ball. Why is Frank Gore getting it? We're saying the same thing this year. Moss is not as good as I thought he was going to be off the gate. I know he might be a little bit better, you know, a few years in, he gets the NFL under him and he starts feeling it out, but he's still slow. You know, he can break tackles. He's a little bit faster than Frank Gore, but he's still slow and he can break tackles here or there. To me, Singletary is head and shoulders above Moss, and it should be a workhorse backfield with Singletary. With sprinkling Moss on third down, sprinkle him in there in key situations, I understand that he's still a solid player. He can catch the ball out of the backfield too, which is nice. But Singletary should be getting 20, 25 carries, 25 touches, and he should be getting the ball more, just more in general. I mean, his stats that I just laid out there, and even last year, he's above four yards per run, I think, on average throughout his career. So this guy's good. It's just, it's just plain and simple. Every time he gets the ball, he makes something happen. And, and it's a crime. It's an absolute crime that he's not getting the ball more than Moss. It's a crime that he's only on the, on the field for six more snaps than the other running back um, in a game. And it's a crime that's only 56% of the time he's out there on the offense. So that's my take on Singletary. I, I think you're going to piggyback me here. But with all that being said, I, I mean, I was getting heated yesterday that he wasn't in the game more. I uh, 100% agree. Uh, Devin Singletary, guy needs to get the ball more. And I'll, I'll even take it a step further. I'm just not impressed with Moss, what I've seen out of him so far. Um, to me, he kind of looks similar to Frank Gore, man. I mean, he's kind of slower. I didn't expect him to look this slow out of the gate. Um, but I, I just think you need to feed Devin Singletary the ball. And every time he seems to get the ball in his hands, it's a productive play. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, in the passing game or handing it off to him, Devin Singletary needs to get the ball more. He needs to play more. Um, I don't know. A split, the split backfield doesn't seem like it's, it's even based on who's being more successful right now. Um, and I'm fine. Like you said, I'm fine with the change of pace every now and then short yardage situations. you got to go with a bigger guy. Sure. Um, but I mean, just in a general scheme of things, I think the Bills are more effective and the offense is more productive when you're giving the ball to Devin Singletary more and maybe not as much to Zach Moss. 
am I ready to bail on Moss right now? No. I, no. You know, he's a young guy. It's two games. But just what I've seen out of these two games against, you know, lesser opponents, he really hasn't impressed me that much. Whether you want to blame it on, you know, the offensive line. I know I kind of ragged on the offensive line in week one in the, in the run game. Seemed, they, they seemed to play better this week. I'll hand it to them. But, I mean, I just didn't really see that jump out of Zach Moss. He did have a nice run that I remember uh, where he had a nice read. But, I just, I, like I said, he looks slower to me, kind of looks similar to Frank Gore. Um, Devin Singletary is clearly the better running back right now. You just need to get Devin Singletary the ball more. And That's it, kind of my take on the backfield. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I'll add on to that. It seems like, like you don't need to force like this duo backfield. Like I, like I was talking about in the offseason, which what I'd like to see if it works. Obviously, I don't think it's beneficial to do that. It seems like what the Bills and I don't know if it's Dabble or McDermott or whoever's on the coaching staff saying this, but it seems like they really like this Moss kid, which great. He's probably a very hard worker. He probably goes in there and, you know, tries to soak up as much information as he can, but it seems like they're trying to force this duo backfield that, you know, Atlanta had back in the day with Freeman and Coleman or something like that, or a Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Well, it's just not working that way. And it, and it's just very obvious that Moss is the lesser of the back. And every time Singletary gets the ball, something happens, then just run with it. You don't need to force something that's not going to happen. Also, I remember one, one series uh, in Sunday's game where Moss was in the I, I literally texted you. I'm like, yo, is Singletary hurt? Because I literally didn't see him out there for like seven plays in a row. And every time Moss got the ball, nothing really happened. And then they finally were working the ball down in the passing game towards the red zone. Singletary gets in his first, his first carry he gets, he gets, he goes for like 15 yards. So I was to the point where I was like, is this guy hurt? Cause that he wasn't playing literally that much. I don't know if he's taking himself out of the game or whatever, but it was just so bizarre to me to watch Moss back there, be slow, be nonproductive. And, just have your other running back who's been, you know, solid for you ever since he came to the league, just sitting on the bench. Um, so that's, I mean, that's all I'll say in the, about the backfield, but if that doesn't change really going forward, I just don't understand really what the coaching staff is seeing. Like I said, maybe they're just trying to force something that's just not there. Um, other thing I want to point out here is it might not be kind of like a, you know, a big buzz topic here. And I think it's not a buzz topic because of how well this player is playing. And I've raved about this guy for so long. Um, but I just want to mention Andre Roberts one more time because in the special teams game yesterday, or on Sunday, sorry, you could see Miami's punter, or sorry, Miami's punt returner. He bobbled a few, there wasn't any turnovers, but I don't know if you noticed that he bobbled a few punts that was a little bit sketchy. And I think he might even dropped one on the punt. And it's not like I'm not giving, you know, Roberts all this credit in the world because he's just doing his job catching the ball on punts and making sure anything happens. I just want to say that, you know, these games are so tense, right? Every play you're, you're nipping at the, you know, bud for something's going to happen. You're focused every second. We're freaking out when there's a power outage because we can't watch, you know, every single second of this game. I just want to give Andre Roberts kudos for letting me just relax for parts of the game whenever we receive a punt. What, you know, th list of things I can do when Andre Roberts is back there for a punt. I'm, I'm chilling face in my, in my chair. I can check my fantasy scores. You know, there's not a lot of time where you can go on your phone and see what's going on. I can go up and get another blue light. So I just want to give Andre Roberts kudos for not letting me. I don't have to pay attention to the game at all when he's back there receiving a punt. I know that the worst case scenario, he fair catches it and we like, you know, don't advance the ball a yard. So that's why it's not a big deal is because he's doing his job so well. If it was a big, they only talk about these guys when they're, when they're messing up. Right. So that's when you know, he's doing his good job when you're not have to talk about this guy, 
He's so reliable back there. So, you know, just shout out to Andre Roberts. That's my guy right there. I know I've been talking about him just a ton. Yeah, uh, I agree. Andre Roberts and another guy I want to give a shout out to is Tyler Bass. I thought he had a big bounce back game. Didn't really have any sketchy kicks. Everything seemed to be right down the middle. Hit a field goal. So that was huge to get Bass, you know, get some confidence back in his in his game. And moving forward, hopefully we can see more of that. Uh, but I just want to talk about, I don't know if you had anything else to add, but, but kind of my last thing is my play of the game was Gabriel Davis on his touchdown catch. Got to give him I don't think that, props. I don't think that that was talked about enough, in my opinion. I think that that was the clear-cut play of the game. I mean, this guy just made an unbelievable catch. I mean, the ball was like it was a fingertip catch. He's falling over, diving for it, uh, and, and he just reels it in. Full control. They review it. They call stands. Man, that was just a massive catch. The touchdown to put us back into the lead after we gave it up. Um, you know, Josh Allen definitely needs to buy him a beer or something because that was a phenomenal catch that he made. I know Josh Allen, he kind of put the ball in a spot where only his receiver could get it. So I want to give him kudos to that. But, I mean, he could have he could have made a little bit of a better throw on it. But, I mean, Gabriel Davis, don't call him Gabe. He likes Gabriel. Yep. Uh, he, you know, reeled it in, took us, took us uh, in front, didn't look back afterwards. So, you know, hat tips to Gabriel Davis on that phenomenal catch. Uh, you love to see that out of the rookie. You love to see him earning that spot that, uh, you know, many people maybe didn't think that he'd have going into training camp. So, you know, and then you want to give credit to, you know, guys like Beasley and Brown and Stephon Diggs for, you know, being the leaders that they are to help help this guy succeed in, in a spot like this. So uh, I want to talk about that play. And then also the play, uh, the one B play of the game is the Josh Allen bomb to, John Brown to seal the uh, deal. Still, I mean, still just, he's uh, just, just this is Josh Allen just putting on his big boy pants and silencing the haters. He's like, you know, you're going to criticize me all off season about me not being able to throw a long ball. And then game on the line, it was third and seven, I think. Mm-hmm. When you really only realistically only need a couple first downs to, you know, kind of mull this game away. He throws – what was that? A 50, 40 yard bomb to John Brown on the money in the numbers puts the game away, you know, just tops off his unbelievable day over 400 yard passings again, four touchdowns, no picks. And just, you know, just basically tells the haters to suck it. You know, I'm, I'm better than you. I'm not going to listen to this narrative. I'm going to continue to get better. And he's just saying, you know, to, to all those other bills fans or even anybody else are saying, you know, Josh Allen's, holding this Bills team back, you know, the Bills are uh, still a QB away from being a contender. He's saying, you know, I'm not really going to listen to you guys. I'm the, I'm the franchise quarterback. I'm the guy that's going to take this team to the promised land. And I'm going to continue to work on things where I know I can get better. And we saw that out of yesterday at Josh Allen. He was that leader that we wanted him to be. The consistency was there. I mean, his – his decision-making was a ton better than I thought than week one. You saw him sliding on some QB scrambles. Um, but that play, man, that just, you know, topped it all off for me. And and that really showed me something out of Josh Allen yesterday. So I just wanted to, to bring the, those two plays specifically uh, to mind. Yeah, and that's just Josh Allen 101, man. You know, I've been talking about it all the time, how he's just a crazy do-or-die guy. And that is just – 
I mean, I, I loved it. Like, obviously, we were going to love that when, you know, it completes a 40-yard bomb for a touchdown. But it's just hilarious because that's what we're living with for the next 10 years. I've been, I've been saying it. I've been preaching it. I'm going to keep saying it. But third and seven, bombs went out, just lets his nuts hang. Like, this guy is just an agent of chaos, and that's how it's going to be. It, it, was, it was just kind of a funny thing. Because the, the play right before that, they went for a bomb too. And I think he had John Brown. He just kind of missed him a little bit. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go right back to this exact play. Um, I'm gonna I'm just gonna air it out again, and and he put it right on the money. So, shout out to Allen for that. Um, I agree. I think he did a lot better with his decision making this week. I think that you know a lot of the haters will still call out some of his missed throws that he had, but that's gonna happen every week to every quarterback. And I think he's getting better at those. His deep ball accuracy is just a thousand times better. So he's gonna you know he's a do or die guy. He's gonna put it out on the line. And then, um, oh, the last thing I wanted to say, uh, you mentioned how he was sliding more on his QB scrambles. There's like, what, maybe one design run for him this, on Sunday? I, I think they completely scaled yeah. that back. And I think the one that they did, that QB draw, I think it was the great time for it too. So you could tell that they, you know, change up the game plan moving forward. There wasn't a lot of read options too. So I don't know. It was weird. It was kind of like a completely different offensive look from a running, you know, running standpoint, but less, less design runs for Allen, which I like to see. Um, he still uses legs and, and use that to his ability. Cause we know that's part of his game and he's going to keep doing that. But overall, another step forward for Allen. But with that being said, it's going to be another step forward for him or hopefully another step forward for him next week when we play a little bit of a better you know, better team. I don't know if you had anything else, but we can transition right into the Rams game next week. Did you have anything else over there? Oh, sorry. No. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, it's, he's going to have to keep it going because next week, obviously we got the Rams. They're coming to Buffalo. So it'll be another home game for the boys and it'll be a little bit of a two on O or two and O versus two and O matchup here. So we play, you know, the first two teams in our division, Dolphins and Jets, we take care of them. But now we get into a little bit of a harder game. I know that the Rams um, coming off a nice win against the Eagles, a struggling Eagles team, but, you know, they still got the job done. And it seems like they kind of have their mojo back from a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, we talked about it in the season preview. They got a nice little defensive front with uh, Aaron Donald, obviously. They got, a, you know, some decent players on the defensive end. So it's going to be much bigger of a test. I obviously think it will be. I think most people think it will be. Um, but, I mean, we can start talking about this right now. I know I predicted them to win in the season preview, so I'm going to stick to that. Uh, but like I said, I think it's just going to be obviously a lot tougher of a task with some with some stars on that team. And, and I'm going to see how this defense bounces back because that offensive uh, talent they have on the Rams is legit. Yeah, I mean, I think I predicted a win too for this week. Like we talked about, it's going to be tough without both of our linebackers. Um, it's going to be tough because... Well, like do we said, know? Do we know they're not playing? I'm just assuming they're not. Uh, so maybe, okay. maybe because we'll I mean see. that's because I mean that's absolutely huge. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just think the Rams, like you said, they they look kind of like the team that they were a couple of years ago when we went to the Super Bowl. They look a lot less like the team we saw out of them last year when they struggled. Uh, I think McVay kind of has them rolling at a you know looking like a wild wild oiled machine right now. Um, they seem to be kind of clicking on all cylinders, especially on offense. They looked very, very good against the Eagles this past weekend. Like you said, the Eagles aren't the t the cream of the crop of the league right now. But again, I don't. I'm not a guy that's gonna 
you know, rank a win versus another win. I mean, it's the National Football League. A win's a win. It counts the same. And they look very good. They beat, you know, a decent Cowboys team in week one. And then they come in and take care of business on the road against Philly. Uh, I wouldn't say they're any slouch of a team whatsoever. Their defense is going to be an issue. I think they're going to – I don't think it's crazy for me to say that this will be the best defense the Bills have seen so far. Aaron Donald is going to be an absolute problem, and we talked about this in our season preview. The The interior of the line is going to have their hands full. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Brian Dabble attacks this defense. You know, is he going to go more of a kind of a look that we saw uh, this past week against the Dolphins, you know, more kind of handoffs, or is he going to go more towards the offense that we saw week one that was kind of more of the read option based? I don't know. Um, Going to need another monster game out of Josh Allen. Going to need another monster game out of Stephon Diggs. And I think, you know, this this O-line needs to play better than they have all season because this defensive front comes at you fast, comes at you hard, and they come after the quarterback. So we're going to need a big game out of this O-line. And then defensively, this Rams team has some weapons. Um, not You know, we know what Robert Woods does. Yeah, they got Cooper Cup, who's another solid receiver for them. Um, but more importantly than any other, you know, guy that steps on that field for the Rams is the guy calling the play, Sean McVay. I don't think anybody's going to, you know, argue with me saying that he's probably one of the best offensive minds in the league right now. And he seems to always hit, you know, hit the right buttons when the time comes. So it's going to be, you know, a, a definitely a coaching battle, I'd say, between him and McDermott. Um, but I think most importantly, this defense really needs to come to play. I, I mean, I really wish that we had fans for this game because this would be the type of game where the Ralph would be absolutely rocking, you know, 2-0 against, I would say, a very high-profile team in this league. These are the games that the Bills fans get up for. Uh, and I'm excited for it. I mean, this is going to be our first kind of, I would say, step in, in the limelight because it's the game where – you know, against the Jets, against the Dolphins, those are game where those are games where everybody picked us to win, right? I mean, every analyst is picking us to win. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm not surprised that the Bills win these games, especially with how much hype we had coming in this year. I would say this isn't a game where it's going to be 100% everybody picking the Bills. Rams are a very good football team. I'm, I, you know, and I think we're maybe by the time the kickoff comes around, I know the spread opened at minus three in Buffalo's favor. That's usually because they're, you know, the home team usually gets three, so that tells me it's pretty even. I wouldn't be surprised to see by the time kickoff rolls around, it's a pick 'em, um, and I think a lot of people are going to be on, on the Rams, uh, betting wise, just because you know there's a lot of Bills haters. They, don't, you know, think we're frauds or whatever. But I, I mean, this is this is a time where the, it's it, this is a game where people care about. They're going to tune into this one, and especially after the game that Josh Allen put together last week. They're going to see, does he have that consistency? Is he a guy that we got to take seriously now in um, these discussions about franchise quarterbacks? You know, I, I already see Josh Allen be thrown around in some MVP talk. Um, I'm going to say it's a little too early for that. He needs to string some together to be thrown in with that Mahomes, Watson, Lamar Jackson squad there. But this, I'm just, I, I'm going to say it again. I'm just excited for this game because it's going to be a true test against, I would say, a very high for profile football team. So, um, I'm going to stick with my same prediction. Uh, I'm going to say that the Bills win this one. But I'm going to say it's it's a little bit low, lower scoring than we saw last week. Uh, again, the Rams, very good defense. Our defense is going to need to step it up. 
I'm still I'm still not a big Jared Goff guy. That's what the one thing I will say. I'm not I'm not a big Jared Goff guy. I think he can get rattled easily. I think he can make some silly throws. Um but he does have McVay to bail him out in a lot of situations. I th- I think that McVay kind of maybe takes the ball or takes decision making out of his hands and some play with some of his play calling. I'm going to pick the Bills to win 20 to 17. Um just because I picked them to win in in the open, in the season preview, so I'm going to stick to my guns there. Um, and I, I'm going to say it's a little more of a defensive battle. I think I'm going to have to say too that I think we're going to need the defense to get a turnover, turnover or two to win this game. Um, and so I'm going to say 20 to 17, uh, Bills Bills win. Yeah, I'm going to stick to my guns as well. I said that they were going to win on the season preview. I believe. Um, I still do think they're going to win. You know, I'm not just saying they're going to win because of that. I still think they're going to win regardless. Um, I think they need to let Allen – I think Dabble and the, uh, this Bills offense needs Allen – they need to let Allen do his thing, air it out, and play like he did last week. That, I think that was the main difference that I saw other than the read option to non-read option from week one to week two. I think in week two, they really let Allen just kind of throw the ball a lot, put the ball in his hands, and let him make the decisions. And, you know, it turned out well for him. That could all always go south. You never know what this guy. It could t- turn out really bad, but I think that they need to let him have the ball in his hands, put Singletary in the game, get it to him out of the backfield, um, get Diggs involved still, get John Brown going in the deep game, get you know, Beasley going on his little one-on-one routes on third and shorts. They need to do all that little stuff. Um, also, I don't know if you – did you see that uh, Brian Winters was playing a little bit in the game towards the end of the yeah. game on Sunday? So did we have yep. an injury on the O-line? No, I I think I read that that was literally more of a coaching decision than an injury decision. Okay, they, so they had so they had they Ford came, out. Yeah, they took Ford out and uh, put Winters in. Okay, yeah, I mean I said like I said I saw I thought Ford struggled week one kind of so, um, I mean I didn't realize I, I guess too much of a glaring issue on that side during the game and maybe the coaching staff saw something I didn't but yeah Winters was in there so I just to point that out. Um, but yeah, they just need to I I I opposite of you I kind of think this is gonna be still you know, an offensive game. I just very, very skeptical about our defense after last game against the having Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins have our way with us. It, it kind of gives me, you know, a little bit of the heebie-jeebies, especially if Milan, Milano and Edmonds are out. I obviously don't like that. And then I don't know what Levi Wallace, if, if he's going to be able to bounce back. I have confidence in Trey White that he's going to bounce back. Um, I think Poyer and Hyde, you know, were two of the guys that played pretty solid last week as well. I know Poyer had kind of like a big sack or big play in uh, Sunday's game. He he's always come to sh- to show up, but I don't know what we got with Levi Wallace. I don't know which Levi Wallace we're gonna get. Like I said, I don't know what the linebacker is gonna be like. I think the Rams offense has some has some talent, so I think they're gonna score the ball. But I think that if we let Allen with the ball in his hands and we call the right plays and we use the guys, the talent that we have in the right way. I think that there's not a lot of defenses um, that can stop us. Or I guess I don't know if I'll say that, but I think this Rams defense would have their hands full if we play it the right way and let Allen do his thing. So I think it's still going to be a little bit of higher scoring than when you said. I think it's going to be right in that 20s range. I think that we're going to win on whether it's a last-second field goal or if it's a field goal that we get before we turn – you know bring it back to them for like a minute drive and then we stop them. So I think we do win by a field goal like you. I think it's going to be 27 to 24 though. So a little bit more high scoring than what you said. Um, But I do think it's going to be close all the way onto the fourth. 
I don't think it's going to be, you know, we're up 27-17 or something and they score a garbage time touchdown. I think it's going to be right at the end there where we get a field goal to, to win it at the end or it's right before they get the ball or something like that. Um, it's going to be a squeeze-in-the-cheeks type game. I'll, I'll say that. So, For sure. So that, that's what my take is on that game. Um, but I don't know if I had anything else to say on this uh, Dolphins recap or the Rams preview, unless you do. No, I think we covered pretty much everything I wanted to get after. Yeah, so there's a Bills talk. Week two of the NFL in the books, but we're not done yet. We do have a little bit of a Sabres talk that kind of came out of nowhere this past week. Obviously, the Stanley Cup's going on right now, um, but with all the teams that get eliminated, they're able to you know, open up themselves for trade talks and things like that. And, um, I mean, the team that we traded with was obviously bent out of the playoffs, but the Sabres did make a trade. One for one, it was Eric Stahl to the Sabres from the Minnesota Wild for Marcus Johansson. It was just a one-for-one straight up, I believe. Um, and so Eric Stahl, the guy that was, you know, a pretty big rival of the Sabres back in 2006, yeah. that era, he was the captain, I believe, of that Carolina Hurricanes team that won the Cup. He will be in Buffalo. And um, I don't know, do you want to go first on this? This is kind of a weird move, I guess, but I, I definitely yeah. have some takes on this. Yeah, I got a couple takes, too. Uh, like you said, one-for-one one with Marcus Johansson. Just to give a little background here, uh, Marcus Johansson's 29-year-old. Uh, I guess he's a kind of a hybrid wing center. Uh, I think it was proven over the course of his time in Buffalo that he was more effective on the wing than down the middle. Um, he has a cap hit of, I think, around... It's 4.5. Four and a half, yeah, four yeah. and a half. Has a year left on his contract. Eric Stahl, what is he, 36, 37? He's, thir- uh, he's turning – let me hey, let me just hit you with the stats here because you clearly don't have them in front of you like I do. Uh, Stahl, is, <laughs> Stahl is turning 36 in October. He is uh, a one-year deal. The Sabres now at 3.25 mil. Marcus Johansson, 29. I think he's turning 30 next year at some point, and he's one year left at four and a half. So we're saving yeah, cap so space. One of, the, one of the things, obviously, that jumps out to you right there is both these guys are on the last year of their contracts, and Eric Stahl is only at a, what, three, you said 3.25 yeah. uh, million a year cap hit. Marcus Johansson's at four and a half. So right off the bat, Sabres are saving a little bit off their cap. Um, they are getting an older player in Eric Stahl. But I think, you know, both of these guys, last year, their contract, you're only going to have – I, I highly doubt, I mean, unless something miraculous happens with the Sabres this year, I highly doubt Eric Stahl is probably going to be back um, again. Seems like he's getting up there in age. But the one thing that I kind of like for the Sabres in this move is you're getting a guy in Eric Stahl who's a bona fide center where Marcus Johansson, like I said, is more of a hybrid, but he's seemed to struggle down the middle for the Sabres. And obviously one thing that we've kind of hammered home uh, since we started this podcast is the lack of center depth that the Sabres team has, especially at that second line position. Ever since we got rid of Ryan O'Reilly, we've been chasing a replacement for him. um, And we haven't had any luck in doing so. So I think what this does here. Right, we got a guy, uh, Dylan Cousins, who we drafted what last year, mm-hmm. uh, who's getting uh, in a the, lot in of the, looks in the most recent draft. Yeah, yeah, in 2019, who's been getting you know kind of a lot of high praise from some hockey analysts, um, who's been doing well in uh, juniors. 
there's been a lot of you know discussions on is this guy going to make the Sabres this year? Is he ready for the NHL? Which this move does, I think, is let Eric Stahl come in and play that 2C spot and take a little pressure off of Cousins, what maybe we didn't do with Middlestat. We kind of just threw him into the fire, you know, kind of said we're just going to throw him into that second center spot and hopefully it works out. Obviously it didn't. He's in Rochester right now. Um, and a lot of people are wondering if Middlestat's ever going to be an NHL player. So I think what Kevin Adams is thinking here is let's learn from our mistakes in the past. Let's get a guy in here we know that well still has maybe a little bit left in the tank in the NHL. He can play second-line center. If you look at his advanced analytics, which I really don't even know how to read half the time, apparently they look pretty good. So uh, he could still kind of play. Um, if he's, It'll be interesting to see what kind of lines or who he's going to play with. Um, like I said, like I said, I think he's going to fill in that second center spot, kind of give an, another year for Cousins to develop, for him to hopefully look good enough in this upcoming season with the Sabers to in the following year take over that second line center spot, maybe, uh, or we you know in the next summer find someone else, find a different solution for that uh, position. But yeah, I, I like the move overall. Johansson's obviously didn't work out here. Um, he battled injuries last year. He didn't really play well down the middle, and we needed we needed him to. So I think this is just a little bit of a better fit. Um, the one thing I do want to talk about that you disagree with is I think there's a high chance we could see Eric Stahl retiring uh, either midseason or before he even steps on the ice for the Sabres. Vontae um, Davis, but, 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 but hockey edition. Yeah, I think maybe pulls a Patrick Berglund on us. Uh, I, I just, you know, he's a Minnesota guy. He bought a house in Minnesota. He had a no trade clause and the Sabres weren't on it. Um, that's how we got this deal done. He, there was reports saying that he was absolutely shell-shocked by the trade, that he found out about it, you know, 10 minutes before it went public. That's how um, all trades work, though, too. It's not like a breaking news there. Yeah, but I just don't know. The guy's, the guy's obviously not in it for the money anymore at this point. I mean, he's had a really good NHL career he's made a ton of money he's won a cup right or has yeah, he yeah he won with Carolina yeah you know he's he was the captain there for a while and you know he he's just made a ton of money throughout his career in the NHL so I think to him I don't know he's gonna he's like you he saw that Instagram video he posted the other day it just seems so forced um whether he plays for the Sabres or not I'm hoping he does just because, you know, I think it'd be cool to see him play in Buffalo, and I think maybe he could, you know, do a good job for us, and I'd like to get something for Johansson. But I would just say my hot take is don't be surprised if he pulls, a, like you said, Avante Davis or a Patrick Berglund on us and um, maybe has an early retirement just because he wants to be with his family, he's older, and doesn't want to, you know, sit through a losing season in Buffalo. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I do want to caveat this by saying I do like the move, is this the only move that needs to happen this off season for me to get back on the Sabres hype train and kind of get excited for this team this year? Absolutely not. There's ton. There's a ton more that needs to happen um, for me to, to get there. Yeah. So I, I think yeah. it's a step in the right direction. That's my take. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's probably the most obvious statement of all time is that this isn't going to be the move to get Sabres fans excited. So um, but like you said, that Instagram video that the Sabres posted of him was, I thought, hilarious because it was like a, 
it was almost like a you know blink twice if you're doing okay stall because we know the peculas have a gun behind the camera looking at you right now and you know if they're gonna shoot you if you don't say something so i thought that was funny um and then before i give my whole take on this i, I just want to kind of piggyback what ethan said and say um you know, before people come at me and, you know, oh, they need to do a whole lot more. Like just even say like, yeah, that that's obvious. All right. They obviously have to get a ton more, you know, on this team, a couple more depth players, uh, a winger, a couple more top six guys. Okay. We get it, but you can look at a trade individually and analyze it that way. So that's what I'm going to do. And I will say, I do like this move. Um, it was a one for one for Mojo. Like Ethan said, like we talked about, I thought Mojo was very disappointing since he came to the Sabres. I, for one, loved the move when we signed Johansson because he was coming off of a pretty good year with Boston after he got traded over there, went on a deep uh, cup run with them. And then throughout his whole career, he was a pretty solid player, but he was always on better teams. And I think that's why he fit those teams so much better. Um, so I did like the Sabres move when they signed him, but it just, it just didn't work out, right? So then the next thing comes, you know, Eric Stahl's this older guy. Johansson's 29 and Stahl's going to be 36. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because a few things. One, Stahl is just the better player still at his old age than Johansson is right now, just straight up. And two, like Ethan said, they're not going to re-sign Stahl, and they probably weren't going to re-sign Johansson because it wasn't working out there. So they probably, you know, especially at his four and a half mil, he was probably going to be asking for right around there. I mean, maybe they could get him for less, but regardless, they probably weren't going to sign Johansson anyway. So you're either playing with Johansson for one more year or you're playing with Stahl for one more year. So it's just about the age they are now. And that takes me to my next point. Stahl's still producing. And he might not, you know, produce as much next year. Maybe next year is the tipping point where he is a little bit too old or maybe that's two years from now. But in 66 games this year, he still had 19 goals and 28 assists. So you play a full, a full season of this guy and he maybe gets 25 to 30 goals in that range, which is very good, which would probably be, you know, third or fourth on the Sabres this year after uh, Eichel and Reinhardt. Two years ago, he played a full season, 82 games. He had 42 tucks. He was a 40, 42 goal scorer at 33 years old or 34 years old, whatever it was. So this guy's still producing. He played 81 games the season before this one. So, I mean, it's not like he's getting hurt. It's not like he's an injury guy. He's pretty much played every game in his season for his entire career. And then the last thing I want to say is he can – He's consistently um, proven that he can play PK and play a little bit of power play minutes as well. I think that is such an underrated thing that the Sabres don't have is guys that can kill the penalty. This is something that I'll probably bring up later on when we start talking about the Sabres when that season starts up in January or whatever it's going to be. But they don't have any good penalty kill, penalty kill guys that can kill penalties and are also decent players. They're throwing Larson out there. They're throwing Gergensen's out there. You look at the best penalty killers in the in the league. You have Brad Marchand. You have JG Pajo. You have Kevin Hayes. You guys, ha you have high skilled guys that can also play special teams. And now I'm not saying Eric Stahl's at the same level as those guys, but he's proven to play penalty kill. He's proven to play power play. He's a veteran, you know, presence in the locker room. And like Ethan said, he can mentor Cousins for the time he's there playing that two center role. So, yeah, I'm not getting to jump out of my shoes because now we have Eric Stahl instead of Marcus Johansson. But this individual trade, if you're looking at a one-for-one -one deal for one year, he's a better player than Johansson. It's just as simple as that in my, in my opinion. So if you're looking at something to, you know, and he fills about, a, I'd say he fills a better positional need for his too. So I, I think those are the two pluses that you got to look at. 
definitely. So yeah, if you're if you're looking for you know something to rag about this trade, I, I don't. Know, I, it just seems like you're trying to do too much there. Um, so I guess Kevin Adams hit on his first trade, you could say. But Botterell's also had some decent trades in his career. It's obviously very early to tell what this guy is going to be like. Um, but definitely want to talk about that stall trade because it was something that happened. But hopefully, you know, hopefully he doesn't pull Vontae Davis like Ethan thinks he might. Um, and hopefully, and he hopefully does Kevin stay. Adams isn't done. Because 100%. tons of work to do. Tons of work to do, absolutely. But that'll do it for Sabres talk. I think that'll do it for all Bills talk this week. Uh, the Bills are 2-0. That's all that matters as of right now. We're playing the Rams next week in Buffalo. So that'll be a big game. And, you know, hopefully we're coming back on this podcast talking to you guys next week, uh, 3-0 and with the Buffalo Bills. But with that being said, everybody have a great week. Go Bills, go Sabres. And uh, we'll talk to you. I just got the key, they let me in, no ID. Doors opening up for me and now I see. I've been blind for a while now. I've been blind for a while now. I've been blind. Hey! Every single goddamn day, nigga, thank you next to Dicky, next to who? Tomatoes, mustard, mayonnaise, nigga, better catch up, catch up, catch up, catch up. Thank you for my head too hard for me to learn my lesson. My head too goddamn hard. Cause the way I did it worked out fine. Ooh, God, you blessed. Hey, man, probably ain't believe me. No nigga went through hell and back. Now he finally on the TV. Now nigga don't even give a fuck no more. Probably think it's easy. Let you know it ain't easy. I fuck her like a bathing ape. She run from the dick like a cheetah. Go! Two tone AP watch on. Never seen music for a clock. I see the way he fucking up the charts. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he ever gonna stop. And he charge on the 50 for the verses now. Pay it away, never ever drop. They notice that the nigga needs versatile. Wonder if he ever gonna pop. Go! I just got the key, they let me in. No ID. Doors opening up for me, and now I see. I've been blind for a while now.